Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is Joe Aletto, and I am the Director of Operations for SALT, a global thought leadership and networking forum encompassing finance, technology, and politics. SALT Talks is a series of digital interviews with the world's foremost investors, creators, and thinkers. And just as we do at our global SALT events, we aim to both empower big, important ideas and provide our audience a window into the minds of subject matter experts. And we are very excited today to welcome Mayor Dean Trentalis to SALT Talks. Dean Trentalis was the first elected mayor of Fort Lauderdale in 2018, uh, first elected rather in 2018 and was reelected in November of 2020. So congratulations are in order. This 2018 election represented the largest victory in city history for a candidate running for a first term as mayor. Dean previously served on the city commission representing district two from 2003 to 2006 and then from 2013 until his ascension to the mayor's office. He twice served as vice mayor from 2005 to 2006 and from 2016 to 2017. He represents the city on the Broward Metropolitan Planning Organization, the County Tourism Development Council, the Broward Workforce Development Board, the Florida League of Cities, and the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance. And hosting today's SALT Talk is no stranger to the South Florida area, Anthony Scaramucci, who is the founder and managing partner of Skybridge. He's also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I will turn over to Anthony for the interview. So, so Mayor, first of all, thank you for joining us. But uh, what I said before we got started is someday you're going to be the mayor of all of us. And by all of us, I mean everybody here that lives in the Northeast. So, so tell us about your background. Uh, tell us where you're from. Uh, tell us how you arrived in South Florida and your odyssey to becoming the mayor of Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me here on the show. Uh, I feel very honored to be able to be able to speak with you and uh, talk about uh, Fort Lauderdale. So I'm originally from Connecticut. I was born there and uh, went to college at uh, Boston University and then subsequently went to law school here here in Florida at Stetson University. Uh, I began the practice of law. I was admitted to the bar in 1980 and I've been practicing here in the uh, Fort Lauderdale area since 1982. Uh, you know, I first came down here as a young kid in my 20s and thinking, I'm just gonna come down here for a year or two, enjoy myself, get to see what the East Coast of Florida is like and uh, move on somewhere else. A friend of mine said, hey, you can, you can bunk out here in my apartment. There's a cot here in my living room. You can stay here, um, which I did. Uh, but then I realized this was a place to be. It's a place to build a career. It's a place to uh, both enjoy yourself as well as be able to uh, fulfill yourself. And uh, and I've been here ever since, since 1982. And it's been uh, uh, it's been really great. And and there's so much more as we continue to grow as a city and as we continue to grow as a state. So let's say that I landed from. Mars. And I needed a place in South Florida. And I was looking at Miami. I was looking at Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, let's say the East Coast of Florida, Palm Beach. Uh, why would I come to Fort Lauderdale? Tell me about the great city that you are the executive of. So, you know, Fort Lauderdale, like a lot of cities in Florida, are young communities. And, um, and each of the cities that you mentioned, uh, they each have their own cultural significance. Uh, Miami has a large Spanish and Cuban population. Uh, Palm Beach, 
uh, draws its people from other parts of the country. Um, Fort Lauderdale uh, has now become the new breakaway city. It is it has established itself as probably the most diverse city in, in the state of Florida. Um, different peoples, different cultures, different orientations. We have a large LGBTQ population. We have uh, large uh, uh, we have just large segments of of all all cross sections of races and cultures. And it's exciting. It's it's enriching. Um, and, and you can see the results of that. People are buying up real estate here like, uh, like they've never done before. Why? Because they see that it's really a, a microcosm of the rest of America. And they, everyone can find a comfort zone for themselves here. And everyone's welcome. We have the, the welcome mat is open to everybody. And uh, let me tell you something. That's a great thing. When, when people can feel, you know, feel good about themselves and being able to um, find friends and, and career opportunities, that's really where we're at. Um, building a family, building a business, and uh, building a life where um, really you can feel so so good about being part of what's going on here in this part of the country. Well, I want to want to go into that because you're talking about diversity. Talking about Obviously, diversity. Uh, we're we're big champions of diversity at Skybridge. You were part of, uh, and you were in fact the co-chair of Americans for Equality, and you oversaw the enactment of the Broward County Human Rights Ordinance. Uh, tell us about that. Tell us about that process and tell us how, how it shaped your political arc, how you used it almost as a platform to run for office. So um, honestly, I didn't really think of running for office way back then. I was more of an activist helping others, you know, get elected to public office. Back in the early 90s, um, specifically in 1990, we uh, uh, part of a, uh, a count countywide referendum as to whether or not to add sexual orientation as a protected class here in Broward County. And, and uh, uh, we lost miserably, 60-40. It was a wretched campaign. Uh, the, the LGBT community back then, we were known as the gay community, uh, was demonized, was treachered. It was just a, it was just a, a very unfortunate time in, in our city's past. We, we overcame that. Uh, um, we then moved forward and were able in 1995 to get the, the county commission to enact that amendment to the Broward County Human Rights Ordinance. And ever since 1995, uh, we were the first county in the state to be able to not only pass such an, uh, an amendment to our Human Rights Ordinance, but to make it stick. So we've had it there for all these many years, and we're very proud of that achievement. Uh, we subsequently were able to get the county to pass a domestic partnership law, which today seems almost kind of novel and kind of cute because we now have marriage equality in this country. But it was a way to foster the diversity and to understand that we in, in this part of the uh, part of the city, part of the world, um, believed in diversity, believed in cultural enrichment. And I have to say that uh, Fort Lauderdale has definitely been a, a willing partner to uh, embrace diversity and to embrace, embrace the kinds of things that we all represent. So um, it wasn't until about year 2000, 2002, uh, a, a, an opening came upon the city commission here in Fort Lauderdale. It was a vacancy. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try to run for that. Uh, it wasn't the first time a person from the gay community tried to run for that position, 
but I decided, you know, maybe it was right for me. Maybe it'll work this time. And uh, luckily I was able to win. And it was, um, I was the first openly gay city commissioner in the city of Fort Lauderdale to win an election like that. It, it, it's an amazing story, but there are, there are additional layers to the story, Mayor, that I want to get into. Uh, one of them has to do with the Presbyterian Church down there and your relationship with Pastor Pacienza um, and the evolution of that relationship. And I was wondering if you'd add some color uh, for our listeners and viewers about that. Sure. Well, you know, back in the early days, um, we it wasn't the Presbyterian Church per se. It was a specific church called the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. And at that time, their founding pastor, D. James Kennedy, um, who was a strict fundamentalist, uh, really targeted the gay community with a lot of anti-gay rhetoric, uh, demonizing the LGBT community. Uh, we were their biggest fundraiser. Um, uh, we were an easy target at the time. But over time, um, you know, the community found less and less interest in that type of uh, uh, rhetoric. And, uh, and about 12 years ago, he passed away. Um, and people that followed him, uh, those who took his place in, in the pastoral role of that church, um, uh, had a far different philosophy. Um, while we all agree to understand and accept each other's uh, differences, we've all agreed to peacefully coexist. And currently, uh, Rob Piacenza is uh, the pastor at the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Um, and, it's, and it's important to understand that both he and I have met on several occasions, along with other members of the of the faith community, both in the LGBT community and in the fundamentalist community. And we've been meeting over the last several years to talk about commonality, to talk about how we can build bridges, to talk about how we can put the hate from the past instead of holding on to it and try to embrace the love of the future and build a, a, a foundation for the city of Fort Lauderdale that is going to be sustainable and lasting. Because, you know, like, you know, in any tortured relationship, you hold on to the past and you're never going to be able to, to move forward. You're never going to be able to grow. And I think it's, I think that holds true in this situation. We all realize, many of us realize, that it's important to try to find commonality, try to find understanding, and, and accept the fact that we do have differences, but it doesn't mean that we have to be adversarial. So I, lo I love the story. You know, uh, uh, it, it's a long time ago now when I think about it, but back in 2007, 2008, I worked with a group of hedge fund managers to pull over some of the Republican state senators in New York uh, to legalize gay marriage, uh, same-sex marriage in New York. And then I had the opportunity to work on this with uh, uh, the human rights campaign for the national movement, which ultimately led to that Supreme right. Court decision. Well, thank you for doing that. And, we appreciate that. Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, listen, I'm, I didn't choose my sexuality. I mean, we don't have to talk philosophically about how it works, but I've always felt firmly that, uh, you know, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't remember the sentence where it said for straight people. I don't remember that in the in the language. I think it means everybody. Um, but the reason I'm bringing this up is that I had the opportunity to meet with Vice President, then Vice President Biden in Davos, Switzerland, where we were working on a commission together to create that opportunity outside the United States with other nations. And as you know, uh, some of these nations culturally are very different from the United States. 
Uh, we're very self-critical here, but we have some, you know, social progress going on here, perhaps compared to other nations not working as well in some of the other nations. I guess the reason I'm bringing it up that way is you seem to be a lead, not seem to be, you are a leader in this sort of movement and shattering these false totems and these preconceptions. And so what advice do you have for people that are in political life that are really just trying to get people to relax about other people's lifestyles and other people's way of living? You know, I I tell my conservative friends, you guys are for a smaller government everywhere, but in my bedroom, Mayor, you know, they want a larger government in my bedroom. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. So what do you tell people in terms of the first steps necessary to, to push forward? Well, it's a it's an interesting question, and I don't know if I have the complete answer. But I do know that, um, uh, but being strangers with one another is the best way to create animosity and adver- and and to maintain an adversarial relationship. Once you uh, reach out and say, "Hey, let's be friends. Hey, let's get to know one another," uh, the idea of familiarity. Uh, I think helps break down a lot of the barriers that have that stand between one another. Um, I see I see senators, I see congressmen holding on to their um, to their points of view, which to me are uh, are holding us back as a country. And uh, and I, and honestly, um, I hope they become fewer and fewer as time goes on. And I think that the the successes that we have achieved in this country through whether it be through legislation or Supreme Court rulings have taken us to a new level each time in which uh, it is recognized that equality is a fundamental freedom in this country. And it, like you say, Anthony, it is, it's, it's, it's available for everybody, not just for those that, you know, that are chosen. So, so um, my advice, I guess, if, if that be it is to uh, say, is to reach out to others. Now, someone will say, oh, well, you must, you must get them to, you know, to forsake their past and to beg forgiveness for what they've done or what their predecessors have done. And, and I said, well, that's the best way to, to, to prevent anything from happening. You start with an olive branch, okay? And you reach out. You have to be a noble person, I guess, in this undertaking. And, um, and that's the only way you're going to get dialogue to begin. And whether it be on issues of, 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 of sexual orientation equality or whether it be on anything that we are now discussing at the national level. I mean, let's face it. Uh, the, the, the president is trying to pass an infrastructure bill. OK, well, one way to certainly defeat any effort is to, is to raise objections and to and to talk about differences. You're never going to get anywhere that way. You start with what you have in common. You start with what you can agree with. You start respecting one another and understanding that each person does have a point of view. Once you get past that hurdle, you're begin- you've now begun a dialogue. And I think you can look to success at the end of the process. And I think that pretty much holds true for just about anything you're trying to deal with when it comes to trying to settle differences between parties. Mayor, what are you what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I think you need to come to the Scaramucci house and help me out a little bit. Okay, bring a couple of peace pipes, and uh, you can hang out with my very fun but ridiculously dysfunctional Italian family. But I think I think what you're saying is is beautifully said, and I think it's uh, it's totally true. The minute that you meet other people and you realize that you have these common themes of love, and you 
common theme of trying to just help out your family members and the people around you. All of a sudden, people dial down their animosity. You know, I always found, particularly some of these politicians, they're not for the gay rights movement until they discover one of their children is gay. And they realize how much they love their child. And all of a sudden, they were like, well, why am I against this again? It's sort of nonsensical. Um, I want to switch topics for a second because I'm interested in your thoughts on policy around COVID-19. You've got this beautiful city. Uh, It has been a destination for spring break for many people over multiple decades. I myself, I say with great pride. As you've just confessed. Yes, yes, I I say with great pride. We won't mention on the air some of my dastardly uh, experiences in Fort Lauderdale, but that was a long time ago. But in 1983, and of course, again, in 1984, I was uh, on the beach with you guys. But you have this wonderful place. You've got the public health and public safety issues around COVID, the science around COVID. Uh, You seem to have done an amazing job, frankly, in terms of inviting people to the state, inviting people to your city. You have pretty low incidence of of, uh, of the virus there comparatively. Uh, Tell us your thoughts. Tell us the design of your program, how you thought about these things philosophically and what you've learned that you can pass on to others. Well, as you know, it was about last year at this time that uh, uh, the federal government finally came to grips with the very idea that, you know, COVID was at our doorstep. Um, And it was, um, it was, uh, you know, it was, it's in nobody's playbook as a public official what to do during a pandemic. Nobody went to school learning how to, to deal with a pandemic. So when the federal government Government started to say when the CDC started to say, you know, COVID is here. We need to start shutting down. Uh, we followed suit. We shut down our beaches on March 15th. In fact, in fact, we were the first city in the country, uh, along with Miami Beach. We collectively decided let's shut our beaches down. Let's close spring break. These the experts are telling us that we would be a super spreader event. And so let's shut our beaches down. So we shut them down for, we figured for a month, we'll see what happens. You know, in our in naivete, we thought it would go away after a month, okay? So, you know, April rolls around, May rolls around, you know, this disease is not going away. Uh, in fact, the virus is spreading even more. And so over the, as the weeks passed and as the months passed, we realized that um, we couldn't didn't shut down and expect this disease to be cured. The only way we were going to be able to function was to figure out a way to coexist with the disease. And and what does that mean? That meant that uh, we had to deal with the disease, make sure we had testing sites, uh, working with the governor's office, uh, putting party aside uh, and putting ideological views aside. We both were on the same mission to try to keep people safe. So working with the governor's office, uh, we had testing facilities, both both the rapid testing and the regular testing right here in our city. Um, and that was important because people needed to know if they were if they were infected. Uh, and then we we continue to maintain the protocols that the CDC are required in terms of uh, capacity within restaurants and bars and and uh, and interactions with one another, distancing and of of course, the wearing of face masks. So we, we continued with that through the, through most of the summer. Uh, and then 
Uh, and it was difficult. A lot of people found that challenge to be very difficult to deal with, but uh, we felt it was important in order to try to prevent the spread from continuing. We didn't shut any, any we started to open things up. Why? Because we realized, for example, in Florida, where everything uh, could be open and, you know, New York City, you know, in December, you can sit outside at a restaurant, but, you know, you're there with the pigeons, you know, no one else is going to sit out there with you. It's so cold. So we're lucky. We were lucky here in Florida. We were able to be, uh, to be outdoors. In fact, instead of closing the beaches down, it made sense to open the beaches and encourage people to come down and use the beaches because it kept them out outside. It prevented them from going indoors. There was a lot of effort to to create curfews and so forth. And we pushed back on that because all curfews do is push people back in their hotel rooms and closed spaces. And, and that's the worst super spreader you could possibly get. So so we were you know, we were able to maintain a balance and uh, and allowing uh, businesses to reopen, uh, returning people to their places of work. A lot of them are still working remotely. Um, but I'll tell you, it's uh, it's been a difficult challenge. And uh, and when we were finally able to get vaccines, uh, again, working with the governor's office, uh, we were able to get some of the first vaccination sites in the state. And uh, people have been rushing to get appointments. You know, it's it's just been a real challenge, a tragedy in many, many cases. So many people have died um, and being just days away from getting a vaccine. It's just been a real, real, you know, a very sad moment in our, in our communities as, as I've seen throughout the country. But, um, but we've been trying to balance, uh, balance the needs of people and balance the expectations and at the same time, trying to keep people safe, trying to save livelihoods as well as lives. And, uh, and, you know, here we are today with about a quarter of our population here in Broward County having been vaccinated and we're working aggressively to try to vaccinate the rest. I think it's an, it's an amazing story. So I want to ask a follow-up question, but I'm going to frame it like this. Sure. That we're, going to, we're going to stick this interview into a time capsule. And so you're going to be talking okay. to one of your successors now, 10 or 20 years from now, about dealing with COVID-19. And you're sending a message to the future about what you learned and what was the right policy versus the wrong policy as opposed to left or right policy. I think that's one of the things that you're going to be remembered for, Mayor, is that you were all about right or wrong policies, not left or right. So tell us what that message would be. So, um, of course, the best thing is to follow the science, follow the experts, try to understand you know, where they're taking, what direction they're taking you. In this particular case, the coronavirus uh, was transmitted through an aerosol uh, interaction where you could breathe on somebody and that's how you get the the virus. Um, If a pandemic should come back in in the same form, in the same way of spreading it, uh, I would encourage people to remain outdoors, no curfews, and just maintain social distancing and wear the mask. The mask is probably the most important thing. This past weekend, we had a demonstration on our beach for people who were protesting against the use of masks. You know what? God bless them. Uh, I hope nothing happens to them. But uh, I think politics, uh, as you know, Anthony, politics injected into this entire pandemic is what killed hundreds of thousands of people. And um, and I feel very, very bad that they have been victimized by 
by what happened this past year. But here we are today as public leaders trying to do the right thing. And, um, and, and so my advice to my successor uh, is to follow the science and, uh, and just do your best to try to balance the need for livelihoods, like I said, and lives. And I think you'll come out of it successfully. I think, I think it's a, it's an amazing message. Okay. So I want you to, I, I want you to pitch me now. Okay. We're going to put your different hat on. Uh, I've got this huge business. Uh, my name is Elon Musk and I'm running something called the boring company, uh, which is not boring at all. They're about boring yeah. into the ground because there's nothing about Elon Musk that's boring other than the fact that he's running the boring company. And you've got this difficult subterranean issue in Florida. And I want you to pitch me on bringing me to Fort Lauderdale and my company. Go ahead. Let me hear the pitch. Fort Lauderdale is probably uh, going to make the boring company finally hit the headlines uh, in this country. Because right now it's sort of been simmering. They're doing a little project in Las Vegas. They have their test site in Hawthorne, which is right outside of uh, downtown L.A., and uh, we visited both those places. Amazing project going on in Las Vegas. And also they're beginning one in San Bernardino. But the real breakout uh, uh, project is going to be here in Fort Lauderdale. Why do I say that? Because we're going to stretch the limits of the boring company and test them, test their metal to what they they can really accomplish with this technology and this process that they've that they've invented. And I think that um, coming to Fort Lauderdale, they're going to see that you know the challenges that people think that are in Fort Lauderdale are ones they've already they've already uh, encountered in Las Vegas. For example, everybody thinks we have a high water table and therefore you cannot put a, a tunnel underground. Well, guess what? Las Vegas is sitting on, on an underground lake. The entire tunnel system that they have there is is submerged in water. Uh, they've also hit huge rock formations when they were digging underneath. So all those, all those issues that uh, could possibly interfere with uh, our progress here are not issues. They've, they have the experience, they have definitely have the talent. We met with their, with their geologists and, and their, um, and the people that run the organization. And they, they like us are excited to see, um, uh, progress move forward with the type of tunnel systems that we have in mind. Let me give you an example. Um, originally, we went out there because we wanted to talk about uh, building a tunnel for our train tracks. You know, in South Florida, we have a train system that runs north-south, and we're talking about putting a commuter line between uh, Miami and West Palm Beach. You know, the whole point of running a commuter line is to get vehicles off the roads, try to for, for, uh, focus mostly on mass transit, which is environmentally important. And, and I, we think that's where this country needs to go. Um, but at the same time, you know, we already have a lot of east-west corridors, uh, roads, a river, um, all of which would be frustrated if 40 or 50 more trains were to start to travel up and down this corridor. So the Department of Transportation here in Florida wanted to build a big bridge that would uh, that would raise the tracks overground and and avoid the interference with the roads and the river. You don't build bridges that cut cities in half. You don't build bridges that permanently divide these people that live on this side of the tracks and those that live on the other side of the tracks. This city has a just an unfortunate history with race relations and how it has separated them because of the tracks. So. By burying the tracks, 
first of all, uh, not only would it create more open space and not only would it um, uh, take away the, the physical separation between uh, demographics within our city, but we discovered through the Boring Company that we could do this at a much, much cheaper price than anything that was offered by other people who have made the, who have responded to our proposals. The, the state uh, said, oh, it's going to cost you a billion dollars a mile. And this tunnel system was going to be about three miles long. Well, the Boring Company said a billion dollars a mile, we can do it for $15 million a mile. And you add the the cost of construction for the train tracks and the switching and pumping systems, maybe you're up to $40 million a mile, which is a far cry from the billion dollars a mile that was first suggested by the state. So in addition to that tunnel system, we're also, you've been to Fort Lauderdale, right, Anthony? So you know that sometimes going down Las Olas Boulevard, getting trying to get to the beach, it's our premier boulevard shopping district uh, art, uh, art district. It's a great, great place um, uh, for people who come to Fort Lauderdale, um, and it's also part of one of the most premier residential districts in the in the entire state. Um, it's plagued with traffic on weekends and holidays, so we've come up with the idea of rerouting traffic through a tunnel. We have the Brightline Station with a parking garage. People, families who want to come to Fort Lauderdale Beach can park their car at the parking garage and get shuttled through uh, through autonomous vehicles through this tunnel, five bucks a pop, you're at the beach, uh, your family's with you, you, you don't have to worry about parking at the beach and you've completely eliminated the whole traffic scene and you've added nothing to the traffic by taking the system. That's gonna be a front burner item here in our community. We're so eager to put it out there for public response and uh, that's gonna put uh, the boring company on the map. Far-sighted, uh, in inventive, creative ideas such as that. That's where we're heading here in our city. I, listen, it's an amazing story. I could I could listen to you for hours, Mira. I I gotta I gotta turn it over to Joseph here in a second. But I gotta ask one last question. Yes, sir. Uh, we had the uh, the mayor, uh, Mayor Suarez from Miami on Salt Talks. Yes. Uh, and he gave a wonderful presentation. Uh, you know, in in many ways, I, I see you guys as similar in terms of love of the city, love of the state, love of the intersection of the business community and social progress and all, all of these great things. Uh, I understand that you're working on a cross-city partnership to develop South Florida into what you guys are calling the magic region. So tell us a little bit about that, and then I'm going to turn it over to Joseph so that he can fire in some questions. Of course, I've missed some things, but I want to I want to hear about the magic region first. So uh, a few months ago, uh, Mayor Suarez, Francis, I, the vice mayor of the county, and uh, Mayor Singer of Boca Raton, uh, with some of our staff people, had lunch. And uh, we met and talked about how we could um, organize our efforts to promote uh, promote businesses in the South Florida area, specifically with regard to tech industries and financial service industries. And we were looking for ways to brand ourselves and looking for a way to um, enhance the branding uh, opportunities uh, through collective efforts. And um, uh, and so uh, we haven't had our second meeting yet, but I think we have. Uh, continue to work um, uh, individually with 
trying to uh, put together the, our best efforts. And we will, we are now working towards a second meeting with the new ideas that we have and to see how, in fact, we could brand South Florida uh, as, you know, the magic capital of the world because it is magic. Great things happen here and abracadabra, you never know what's going to be be on your doorstep the next day. But it's, you know, let's face it. So many people are moving to South Florida right now. Uh, as you said, you know, I may someday be the mayor of the world because the world is moving down here. And for good reason. Uh, we have no income tax. We have no estate tax. Uh, our sales tax is moderate compared to other places. And, and, um, and you can't beat the weather. Uh, I think a lot of people would rather sit in front of their computer screen listening into the waves splash against their uh, their porch, as opposed to watching a snowdrift piling up against their window. It's just a totally different uh, mindset. And we, let me tell we, you- we 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 have to end our mutual love affair yeah. on this notion of me sitting here freezing, Mayor. I mean, come on. Yeah, was <laughs> I mean, brutal. I mean, I don't I mean, want to I mean, rub literally, it in. That's like it. taking the rock salt that I'm throwing on my driveway and putting it in my <laughs> eyes. My God. But you're right, sir. I mean, and the other thing is, is that you guys have figured out, I think Mayor Suarez has as well, that taxes are a price for services. And so you have to deliver services. One of the problems that's happening up here in the Northeast, specifically in New York, the taxes are going up and the services are going down. It's a bad recipe for people and it's hampering their quality of life and it's causing a, a, a migration. And so you guys are the beneficiaries of that, but you deserve to be given the policies I'm going to turn it over to uh, to Joe. Um, go ahead, Joe, and and I, I will point out, full disclosure, Joe and I have known each other. He's my uh, he's my friend's best friend from high school. I'm sorry, my son's best friend from high school, and uh, him and I know each other for probably since you were about 13, right, Joe? Yeah, I was going to say it's up there. Yep. But it is you know pleasure to have you on, Mayor. I was reflecting on my time. In the during the pandemic, sitting in my one bedroom with my partner after everything was basically closed after 10 p.m., being driven inside because I couldn't go elsewhere and there was nothing else to do. So the the idea of these curfews, you know, having lived it and then coming down to to Fort Lauderdale, I won't admit how many times, Anthony, I've been to Fort Lauderdale during all of this, but has been you know a real wake up call for the different lifestyles that could be led. So I want to. Um, just to have one more note on COVID, you know, uh, Governor Newsom came out, everything is, is trending in the right direction in his state. He has set a June 15th reopening date for, for the majority of things being open. South Florida is in a little bit of a, a different spot because a lot of the, com- the uh, companies are, are open and things are able to be, you know, visited and such. Is there a point at which the South Florida area is able to say we are past the worst, the worst of it, and able to move forward. Or do you think it's too early to to make that call? We have been listening to some of our counterparts in government. Uh, our county mayor has been talking about starting to lifting restrictions sometimes by the end of this month or the beginning of next month. But again, I think we have to follow the science. I think we have to follow the infection rates and the and uh, and the hospitalization rates. Uh, I'm not too quick to want to really change much of that yet. We, we're, we're pretty much open back down here. Um, we still require restaurant workers and, and, and hotel workers to wear masks. Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, 
uh, you know, it's not a it's not a free for all here. You know, and when people come to this state and when people come to Fort Lauderdale, you know, they have to respect some of these COVID compliance rules that we have in place. Uh, and I think that's what's helping to keep the infection rate down and the hospitalization rates down. Uh, and and you know, I feel bad for Governor Newsom in California. He's got an enormous state with so many different types of peoples and cultures and attitudes that, you know, one policy does not fit all. Uh, I think our governor realized that. And, and I think that's why he didn't impose some of these statewide restrictions, but allowed us to, to tailor make those restrictions according to our needs and expectations. So, um, so the thing is that, that going forward, uh, I'm hoping to see uh, these more and more of these restrictions re removed as vaccinations become more and more prevalent. So if we're able to vaccinate half our county within a month, which looks like that's what's going to ha happen, we'll start to see a loosening up. And I think the president said by the end of May, uh, everybody should be vaccinated. So uh, we have our fingers crossed, hoping that people will get vaccinated. I know there's this... Uh, um, weird philosophy out there that, you know, the devil is in the vaccine, um, you know, people, it's just a matter of, you know, understanding science and realizing, you know, I had my vaccine now for a couple of months and I'm um, still here. Right. So <laughs> the, horns the three of us are still and, here. <laughs> and I still have five fingers on each hand. So, uh, um, but it's really important to respect one another and to keep one another protected from the spread of this disease because it is a deadly disease. And, um, and 560,000 people have died in this country as a result of this disease. It is not a laughing matter. Correct. And we had Professor Hotez on Salt Talks, I think, about two weeks ago to discuss sort of vaccine hesitancy. And, you know, South Florida and Fort Lauderdale, West Palm, Miami are, are demographically potentially different than the, the rest of the state, or at least large parts of the state. Are you seeing back vaccine hesitancy as a, as a big thing in the Fort, Lauder, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Broward County area, or is that just not happening at the, at the scale of potentially other areas or other states like in Alabama or Mississippi? Well, we have, we have our measure of doubters here. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we have uh, people who just, uh, you know, First, they wanted to wait until the Johnson and Johnson vaccine came out because they only wanted one shot. And then, and, and but you get a lot of people based on either cultural reasons or or religious reasons, um, uh, or just people who doubt science altogether. Um, just saying, you know, they rather they rather you know tough it out. Um, you know, that's a big mistake. And uh, um, especially since you could still get it even with the vaccine. I mean, it's, it's what they say, 95%, uh, it's 95% effective. Well, there's always going to be a five percenter. It's one out of 20, okay, who may still get it. So um, so let's just be smart. So let's listen to the doctors and, uh, um, and, and let us all just try to protect one another. Wear our masks, try to get vaccinated, uh, and, and let's just become a better society. Absolutely. And one last question, just as we add to the list of humble brags that we're able to give you for Fort Lauderdale. Um, I'm a self-proclaimed av geek, and I know that the airport's going through a $3.2 billion, I, I don't even know if you call it a remodel, just a reimagining. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, what that's going to do for the area? I think Fort Lauderdale is the fastest growing large hub airport in the country right now. So what does that mean for people coming down here looking to relocate business and such? 
Well, what it means is it's part of an overall uh, um, agenda to rebuild the infrastructure of uh, our communities, um, whether it be the airport or even, even in the city of Fort Lauderdale, we have undertaken a huge project to, to rebuild our sewer systems, our water systems, uh, everything about our infrastructure, we are, we are rebuilding. We've suffered from the, from the uh, neglect over these years. When I became mayor, it was, uh, it was the first thing on our agenda to, to rebuild these uh, systems in order to, to become more sustainable. So if, as more and more people move into the area, we're building a lot of new buildings. These buildings are filling up within months. Uh, it's, it's uncanny. And, um, and we have to, as a, as a responsible government, respond to, this, uh, to these needs and these expectations so that when you turn on the faucet, water will be there. When you flush your toilet, you know it's going to go away. You know, we have a responsibility to respond to that. And uh, uh, we have a very, we have a fast forward agenda and we have been moving very quickly to accomplish this. So um, we want to make sure that when people come to Fort Lauderdale, that they enjoy the experience and, uh, and no one walks away regretting what they have found here. Oh, this is fantastic. Anthony, do you have any last words for the mayor before you let no, him? Uh, you know, him mayor, I'm, I'm super impressed. You know, I, I wish I, I wish I was on the uh, Trantellis presidential campaign as opposed to the other guy's campaign yeah. that I got myself erroneously <laughs> involved in. But, you know, there's always time. There's always time. But I uh, there's always time. I look forward to meeting you in person. In the meantime, he's He's our neighbor up the road here, you know, he, the whole family. He's your neighbor, uh, you know, I mean, listen, you know, there's no, for me, there's no hard feelings. Life goes on. I, I don't bear grudges towards anybody, but uh, you, you're doing an amazing job, sir. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on on, on SALT. Uh, and when I'm shoveling snow up here in the Northeast, I'm going to be thinking of you, okay? I'll, I'll be sure to... Uh, <laughs> I'll be sure to be thinking of you enjoying your beautiful view and your amazing sunrises uh, and that great, beautiful uh, town that you live in. And, and thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully we'll get you to one of our live events, Mayor. Well, let me tell you, when you come down here, just let me know. We'd love to show you around town. And uh, uh, it's really been a great experience being part of this show. So thank you again. Okay. Or our, our pleasure. And I will definitely take you up on that. And 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 listen to me. The uh, the dinner invitation for with the crazy Scaramucci's of Thanksgiving is open invite. Okay, you may need a diplomatic pass. You may need a diplomatic passport, however, to get into the house. But that's a whole other thing. We could work on that together. <laughs> be well, sir. Thank you again. And thank you so much for tuning into this latest episode of Salt Talks. If you'd like to view our entire library, you can head over to our YouTube channel at Salt Tube. We're also very active on Twitter, so we're at Salt Conference there, where we have live transcripts and videos as well. Please also follow us on LinkedIn if you're on that platform, as well as Facebook. And on behalf of the entire Salt team, this is Joe Aletto signing off for today. We look forward to seeing you again soon.